Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Good evening indeed. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of Monsters Among Us. Now allow me to be completely frank with everyone listening. This time of the year is my absolute worst time of the year. Uh, And when I say worst, I mean busiest. Uh, My artwork is flying off the shelves and I cannot keep up with it. So in all reality, I really don't have time to record an episode this week. But, I know a lot of you are traveling, I know a lot of you have time off, and I didn't want to leave you hanging. So I'm going to do something a little different tonight. I'm going to play calls that I don't even know what they are. I haven't done any research whatsoever. Uh, Any comments I'm going to make are off the cuff and off the top of my head. I don't even know what these stories are going to be about. So this is kind of fun for me as well, and it's going to save me a ton of time. This isn't something I plan on doing very often, but in situations such as this, it's what I have to do. So, without further ado, let's get into the first call of the evening. I have no idea who this person is, so I'm just going to say, first caller, here we go. Uh, Hello, Derek. I'm uh, Nicholas. Nick, for short, from Los Angeles, California. Um, I have a couple stories I'd like to share. This one kind of sticks out a little more as I'm older. Uh, a couple years ago, after a show, uh, me and a couple bandmates were dropping off another bandmate out in Koreatown in Los Angeles. And if you know anything from Los Angeles, there's churches pretty much on every corner, and especially when you get into some of the lower-income areas. They're not lower-income, but sort of some of the... Um, segregated by you know culture areas there's mosques or certain churches on uh, every kind of corner you can kind of cut into some of the neighborhoods and there's houses that are converted into churches um with that being said my friend our guitarist lived uh, right by this really really nice kind of you know catholic style looking church and just kind of an old gothic look and we've driven by it a bunch of times to pick them up and it's never been a problem for us we've never had any any worries any scares but for some reason, uh, that changed that night. Uh, we were dropping him off probably around 1 o'clock in the morning. We just played a show out in Canoga, and we're coming back. And we're used to seeing kind of, you know, weird things in the area. But this is just take the cake. But we cut on, we cut off the main street into the, you know, the little neighborhood. And the way that this church is set up, this church is pretty much just like a centerpiece of the, of the neighborhood where if you look off in the main streets, you see this thing towering over certain houses. It's kind of like they built a community around it. Um, so 
So we we t- hook a left off the main off one of the main streets, and we're starting to go into the neighborhood, and we see like a congregation of, of priests. That's uh, best I can describe it, like a group of uh, priests in red robes and, and red candles, kind of walking down the street. And I asked my friend, I was like, "Is this normal?" He goes, "Well, you get a couple priests walking from here to here, you know." Uh, but what, what struck us was the red. They're all red. They had red candles, and even the thing the to, to hold the wax that was falling was red and, and they were just kind of no chanting no nothing just moving through the street in the middle of the street looking down and we're like you know it's one o'clock in the morning no one's out maybe they're just you know cleansing the neighborhood and you know how certain things can be in religion maybe certain rituals uh so we didn't think anything of it so we kind of you know slowly go by them don't we don't mock them nothing and um we hit um we hit a street and we turned and it's the same group of priests in front of us that we just pretty much passed by. And that started to freak us out. So what we ended up doing was dropping my friend off as quick as we could because now we're like, okay, if they were on the other block, there's no other section of priests. There's no, you know, there's the congregation small, even though the church is big. So that threw us for a loop. I drop our buddy off and I, me and my friend at this time, now it's just the two of us and we're like, we got to get back home. So. For us, home is probably about a 25-minute drive. So we take the drive back home, and about maybe a mile before we get off the freeway, we hear a loud tearing noise. And we look, we get off the freeway, and my buddy's tire was popped. Now, by this time, it's maybe about 2.40. You know, we spent, you know, some time kind of getting through the neighborhood. And... It's just bizarre that we would see these people. This tire was perfectly new and fine. And all of a sudden, there's like a gash. Like someone stuck a knife to the tire, ripped it all the way down. And so pretty much now, we're just stranded on the side of the highway, waiting to see what happens. And that's uh, pretty much doesn't fizzle out from there. There's a couple more things that, that happened. But I guess I'll leave that up to the, the conclusion of that story. Uh, I thank you for your content. I actually just found your podcast. It's really really cool kind of good spooky stuff to listen to at work and uh, I will be definitely listening to a lot more uh, thank you for the stories man and thank you Nick now it's kind of funny I was in a fraternity when I was in college and many people are very surprised about that but uh, I will say that our fraternity was a little different than most we didn't do hazing we didn't do a lot of crazy things like that we mostly did a lot of philanthropy work and drank a lot of beer but uh, I bring that up because one of our rival fraternities had a ritual where they would dress in robes and carry candles, and they did a, uh, I guess, a tour uh, through campus in these robes. And there, sometimes there was, you know, a dozen or maybe even two dozen of these uh, robed figures. And this was always late at night. I can only imagine what somebody would think if they were driving down a street and suddenly saw 20 grown men in robes carrying candles. Uh, you know, if they didn't know it was a fraternity ritual, they most likely would have you know, assumed it was some sort of occult behavior. And hopefully, Nick, you made it home. I hear that you're calling from the side of the road, and uh, hopefully your first call was to, uh, you know, AAA or, or uh, a tow truck or something. And hopefully you made it home safely. Thank you again, Nick, for taking the time to share that call. Now, our next caller hails from, I don't know. I have no idea who our next caller is. This is kind of exciting. Up next, mystery story. Howdy. Uh, my name is Carson. Uh, I live in Los Angeles, California, from Arizona originally, and uh, just started listening to your podcast less than a week ago, and I've already listened 
to 10 episodes or so. I love it. Um, it's the kind of show I've been looking for. I listened to uh, Spooked by WNYC, um, but there's just not enough episodes to scratch my paranormal itch. And I just love hearing stories of the unknown and especially ghost stories. Um, I've had a ton of experiences with ghosts and things, uh, with the supernatural. So I've sort of created a litmus test for myself, which is either when I have some kind of weird encounter, either it needs to be experienced by more than one person, like I need to have a witness there with me who sees the same thing for me to believe it, or I need some other kind of confirmation that what I experienced uh, was real and not a hallucination or my imagination, because you can't discount those things when you're dealing with the unknown. So, uh, the story I wanted to tell took place in, for, for, well, there were two incidents and th- that are related, and the first took place in 2005. My family has a cabin in Arizona, um, in Prescott, which isn't deserty at all, but rather quite woodsy, and, you know, it snows up there. It's not the type of terrain people think of when they think of Arizona. So... We have this we have this cabin there and I invited two friends to go up there with me and you know this was before streaming Netflix and there was no internet up there what we do is just kind of rent VHS movies and play board games and uh it being a cabin we had a Ouija board there so these two friends who we'll call um Peter and Amy uh which aren't their real names but Peter and Amy and I decide we're going to play Ouija board. And we start playing. And immediately, it was weird because the the planchette started to move in a way that I'd never had it move before. And that it was incredibly, incredibly slow. So, we asked the standard question, are there any spirits here? And... The planchette slowly, slowly moves to yes. And uh, the next question I always ask is, are you a man or a woman? Slowly, 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 the planchette moves to W. Now, I know I'm not moving the, the thing, and I look up, and my friends are pretty freaked out. So I'm pretty confident they're not moving it either. I go on to the next standard question I always ask, what's your name? And... The planchette moves to H, and then E, and then I, and we have enough time to converse between this, the letters, because it's moving so slowly, and I look up at Amy and Peter, and I'm like, um, I, this is just going to be nonsense, like, the yes and the W, we probably just moved it, no name starts with H-E-I, and they're both in total agreement, like, and kind of relieved, like, yeah, you're right, it's just going to be a jumble of nonsense. And then it goes to D and I, and spells the name Heidi. And we all look at each other like, we don't know anyone named Heidi, we don't have any family members named Heidi, it's just not a name any of us would ever think of. And again, I'm sure I'm not moving this thing. And then I become very, very confident that Peter and Amy aren't moving it, because they 
beg me to stop playing. They're so scared. I And my friend Peter was slightly macho, but he was just like, look, I can't play. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please, 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 let's just watch a movie. And I'm super excited. I'm like, are you guys kidding? We, we're talking to a spirit. we got to keep going. This is awesome. And I'm literally begging them. And both of them are like, no, we're not going to play anymore. And they they basically refuse. And I try to get each of them to play with me again individually neither of them will play so that's the end of the communication Heidi now it wasn't a big deal really after all was said and done I mean had we talked to the spirit all night I would have been a lot more prone to tell people about it so you know I'm not too impressed by just the yes there's a spirit here W it's a woman in the name Heidi to me, that wasn't enough to warrant telling anyone about this, um, or to even count it as like an encounter. It was just a Ouija board thing. Um, but then a couple years later, uh, I go up to the cabin by myself, and no one had been up there except for my dad and my brother and my stepmom. Nobody I'd told the story to, and. I go up into my dad's little painting studio that he has on the second floor of the cabin, uh, which is at the far end of the cabin, down a long hallway. And my dad, he collects all kinds of weird antique stuff, uh, art, books, etc. And there's this big bookcase of stuff in the in his studio. And one book has been removed from the bookcase and placed on his painting tabaret, which is like a little cabinet where you where you mix your paints so that I can read it right when I walk into the room. And it's an old antique copy of the book Heidi. So I was since I was alone up there, I just put the book back on a shelf and thought, oh, that's weird, Heidi, just like the spirit. And I kind of ignored it because I was going to be up there for a week by myself. I sort of compartmentalized it. And it wasn't until I was driving home that I was just like, holy shit, that, that entity that we talked to a couple years ago was trying to talk to me again. And it, it freaked me out, but I also got a very distinct feeling when we were playing Ouija board that the, the spirit wasn't uh, malevolent. So... It didn't freak me out too much, because I, I, I always say with spirits and stuff, like, I don't know anyone who's ever been hurt by a ghost, and even when you hear those stories from people you don't know, it's like a scratch on the arm or what have you, and I'm not too scared of seeing a ghost. I think the excitement of having seen one and having that story to tell outweighs the initial fear I would feel with the encounter, but I guess I haven't seen too spooky of ghosts. I have seen some ghosts when I was a kid. Uh, but that's another story for another time. Anyhow, thank you for making your podcast for people like me who are obsessed with stories of the supernatural. It is a uh, constant wellspring of great stuff. So thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Carson, and thank you so much for the kind words. Since my Kia fiasco, don't buy a Kia, uh, Sarah and I bought a new vehicle. We bought a uh, Dodge Journey, which is a decent vehicle, uh, the price was right, and, you know, it's all-wheel drive. It had what we needed. 
Long story short, uh, I don't know how to work this fancy new computer system that's on these cars. I have a hard time getting the heater to turn on. I have a hard time getting the heater to turn off. Uh, I can't find the windshield wipers. And one of my biggest pet peeves is I cannot get my iPhone to play podcasts on the radio system of the vehicle. It'll play for a few minutes and kick off and do all kinds of crazy things. I have no idea what I'm doing wrong. But I have found that I can listen to very old episodes of podcasts that I like. So I was digging around the archives of Bizarre States. I highly recommend that podcast. Full disclosure, they're not as knowledgeable as most podcasts, but they're certainly entertaining. And I say all that to say this. They told a story the other day about uh, a handful of teens that used to play with a Ouija board. Apparently they took it to certain graveyards and performed what they called seances. Midway through the event, the board itself burst into flames and melted part of the planchette. So they freaked out and ran home. The next morning they came and collected the board and collected their belongings that they'd left. And uh, then they told their parents about it. Naturally, the parents freaked out and threw the board away into the trash outside. The next morning they wake up and find the board in the living room, still burned to a crisp, but somewhat shoved into the carpet to the point where the mother had to actually scrub to get the... Uh, the burn marks out of the carpet. So apparently this went on and on for a while. It also affected the smoke detectors in the house and a handful of other things. Eventually, it got to the point where they had to call in a Catholic priest to perform an exorcism on the home uh, to get rid of whatever entity supposedly came back with the board. Now, I don't put a whole lot of stock in Ouija boards. I've been playing with them since I was a kid, and I've never had a single incident where uh, I thought something was communicating with me. Uh, Then again, I am very skeptical, so maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, Either way, Carson, I truly appreciate the story. Uh, Anytime uh, you kind of lay the groundwork with a Ouija board, you never know where the story's going to end up. So uh, thank you for for sharing that with us. And now let's move on to another call. Another mystery. Hello, this is Margaret from New Hampshire again, and um, I actually just listened to the podcast where you played my previous call. Um, number one, I have another thing that happened on Tuesday, actually like right before, um, well, you, well you posted on Thursday, so sorry, this might be a little um, frazzled because I'm driving right now, but um So, um, you said ball lightning could be the, um, what I saw with my dad when I was younger. And that definitely makes sense. I'm just wondering how big that could be because this was like enormous. This was huge. This took up most of the sky that I could, that I could see through the windshield. Um, um, and then what happened to me on Tuesday was I was actually with my dad again and um, so it's it's just snowed that day. So it was it was very cold out, and um, there was I'd say probably like an inch, half an inch of snow on the ground, and it was still snowing um, when we were driving to work. Again, this was very early in the morning, probably like probably like five twenty, I'd say, and. Um, more lights in the sky uh this time there were like flashes and it was kind of, we were like headed we had just like crested the top of the hill and we were kind of going down the other side of it 
and um, it was kind of like at first we thought it was lightning because it like lit up the whole sky like regular lightning like um, like just a flash and we just kind of like dismissed it at first like it was just a flash and then there was a second flash and this time it was like a very brilliant yellow and it didn't really light up the whole sky and, and there wasn't really like a there was like a point of origin but like we couldn't see it because it was kind of like still down the hill behind the trees where we were like headed um and we were thinking maybe like it was a downed power line or something but or like a like a uh, transformer something was like blowing up or damaged or something um so we kept going and then there was another flash and this time it was a very um blue teal color and um so I'm, I'm not sure if that could also be ball lightning or like maybe it was a transformer and we just didn't see it on the um the rest of the way down the hill we just didn't see the um the um the damage but uh that was another really strange thing that happened um yeah i would like to hear your explanation for that and um i also just wanted to say that i have completely finished listening to the whole podcast i've binged it all listened to every single one now and uh can't wait for every thursday <laughs> Thank you, Margaret. A quick Google search says that ball lightning can get as large as a beach ball, which I guess is about 30 inches in diameter. I don't know if that's large or not. And I should point out that ball lightning is extremely rare. I would almost say that seeing ball lightning is as rare as seeing a UFO, but I guess they're sort of one and the same. And as for the second part of your sighting, with these UFO cases, it's really difficult for me to... uh, even venture a guess based on description alone. So I'm just going to chalk that up to yet another unidentified flying object. But either way, we appreciate you sharing your stories with us. Thank you again, Margaret. Now our next call comes to us with a title. Uh, Sometimes if people submit via a recorded message, they leave a little header letting me know what the subject matter is. And this one simply says, Possession Murder. So let's find out what Jennifer has to say. Hello, this is Jennifer from Plymouth Meeting, PA. I'm calling to tell you one of my paranormal stories. I don't really know which catalog to put this in. Um, It's not like a ghost or a cryptid or anything. It's just something strange, and maybe you can give me a category for it. But, um... I'm not, I don't really remember exactly what year it happened in. It could have been like 79, anywhere from 79 to like 82. I mean, it could have been 78, but I can't remember. It was the late 70s or the early 80s when it happened. It was definitely before 82 because I was in you know, elementary school, middle school. It wasn't in high school yet, so it was definitely before 1982, and it was somewhere around that time. So anyway, um, my aunt, she lived, you know, near my house, probably like three or four miles away, and she had a daughter who was a year younger than me. 
And my mom, she had me, who was the youngest, and then I had a brother and a sister. And we spent a lot of time at my aunt's house, especially me, because I was the same, almost the same age as her, her, my cousin, her daughter. So I would go over there a lot. And my brother and sister would go over a lot, too, but I went over the most. And she had a pool in her backyard. So in the summertime, we were there, like, constantly, all the time. Many, many days. And in our neighborhood, she lived in a caller sack. There was a family who had a son who was probably a, my age or a year older than me. And me and my cousin would hang out with him and play with him, you know, sometimes. He would come swimming with us and stuff. And he had an older brother who was older than my sister. My sister was five years older than me. So maybe this happened in 78 and I was 10 and she was 15. And then this boy was older than my sister. Because I do remember that this happened when his older brother was 19. So um, anyway, this older boy, he would like come over and like spend time with me and my cousin and his brother hanging out with us here and there just you know just hanging out with us and paying attention to us you know we, we always felt like you know important when the older boy the teenage boy would pay attention to us and i'm talking about throughout the years as he was teenage. and and one thing i do remember about him was that he taught me how to swim underwater he told me to out my arm and hold my breath and you know I always remember like looking up to him for that for teaching me to do that so as the years went on and he got in high school and he graduated he decided that he wanted to go into the service and he joined I believe it was the Air Force so he's gone for you know quite a while you know a year two years three years whatever it was I thought it was like four years you had to be in but I don't know if you ever been to the fourth year so at least three years and he would come home here to visit his family but I wasn't part of his family and I wasn't even in his neighborhood so I never saw him it's like had to be three years that he was gone that I never saw him and at this time I always had like a crush on him he was always you know tall and um, he was Ukrainian, so he was like, had like dark skin and dark hair, and I always thought he was so handsome. And he was older, and he paid attention to us, so I always had like a little crush on him, not thinking that anything would ever happen, that he would ever date me because I was like a young kid. But I just always admired him. So this one day, my aunt, she also had a house in the Poconos. Like I said, I spent a lot of time with them because I was the same age as my cousin, so I was always like a playmate for her. So my, my aunt would take me like every weekend up to go Well, this one weekend we were set to go. We were in our house. My uncle was outside packing up the car, getting ready. And I was just goofing around, running around inside the house with my cousin. And my aunt tells, calls us, you know, over and tells us that, you know, so-and-so, I don't want to say his name, let's call him Sean, okay? Sean is outside with, you know, dad or your uncle or whatever she was telling us. And um, I was like, oh, my God, really, like, so excited, like, beyond ecstatic. I was, I hadn't seen him for years. Um, I just couldn't wait to go out and see him. I mean, like, the joy, the happiness, the adrenaline in my body, it was, like, pumping. Like, I was full force going out the door. And, like, her driveway, the car was parked in the driveway. You could see the side of the car, and then it would go 
like the path. I would come up to her house, and then it was the door. So once you stepped out of the door, if you turned your head to the right, you would see like the path and then the driveway and the car. So I came barreling out of that door. I'm like running out, couldn't wait to see Sean. Turned my head or turned my body, and I didn't even get down the path. And he was standing behind the car. My uncle was under the car. He was always fiddling around, making sure the brakes are okay and that, you know, oil was okay and whatever he was doing, packing the car. But he was under the car, so I couldn't really see my my uncle, like his body was sticking out and his head was under the car. And Sean, or whatever you want to call him, was standing behind him, you know, tall, dark, handsome Sean standing there. And he turned and looked at me and gave me this look on his face like, I don't know what, like, I want to say evil, but not that I thought he was evil, like, the look was evil, like, something was wrong. It was just like, bam, like, as soon as I saw him, all that speed and adrenaline and happiness and everything that I had, couldn't wait to see him and talk to him and give him a hug and it stopped, I was like, stopped cold in my tracks and just like, turned around and ran back in the house. Didn't say hi. I didn't wave. Nothing. And I, and I, and that, and I was kind of like the side. I don't feel like a 10-year-old kid. Like I said, I could have been 9. I could have been 11. I don't know. But I was a young kid. And I was like not really sure what to make of all of that. So it kind of like joggled around in my head and my brain as we took our two-hour trip up to the Poconos, you know, and, you know, over, we went to sleep and overnight during the next day, Saturday, whatever we were doing, we were probably like skiing or riding motorcycles or whatever we were doing. Um, kind of like always sat there like, what well, was weird. Like, what was that all about? So then we had, went, we had dinner later that night and we're all sitting around the dinner table. My aunt always had like great, elaborate, elaborate dinners with, you know, salads and, you know, all all kinds of vegetables and your protein and like, you know, she always made all these great dinners and, um, you know, your drink and she would have wine, you know, not that she gave it to us, but she would have that all on the table. Everything was like all over the table for just us four. And the phone rings and she gets up to, and to get the phone and we're all just sitting around eating and she was just like, oh my God, oh my God, like freaking out on the phone. And like hung up the phone and said, come on, come on, we have to go, we have to go. And she started packing up all the food and we're like, what the heck's going on? What the heck's going on? And she's like, come on, come on, we got to go, we got to get in the car, pack up your stuff, we're leaving, blah, 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 blah. And we're and like, my uncle too was like, what is going on? What is, what is wrong? We have to like pack everything up this instant and go. And she said that Sean was dead. And we were all like, what? What do you mean he's dead? Now, I don't remember if she told us Haley died right then or if I found out later, but just the fact that he was dead, we couldn't believe it. He was a 19-year-old, healthy, uh, military, Air Force, you know, exercising all the time, in great shape. Boy, so why was he dead? And I found out either that night, I can't remember, it was so long ago, or later on, that he got into an altercation with his father, and his father shot him in the head, and he died in the basement of the house. And I just can never really get over that fact that I was so happy to see him. And when I ran out of my house and I looked down the path, all of that just ended. Something 
was wrong. He didn't look good. He gave me that that look. Not that like I again. Not that I think that he was evil or anything, but whatever that exterior was, something was off. And I just like wonder like was it because of this? Like did that have something to do with the fact that he was going to be dead within 24 hours? So um, I think that's like a head scratcher. I don't know. So. Any kind of input or advice that you can give, I would greatly appreciate it. And if anybody else has ever had anything like this happen, um, I would like to hear that too. Okay, thank you. Wow. Thank you, Jennifer. What a tragic story. I'm not so sure about possession causing people to uh, murder or... I guess be murdered, but I do know that mental illness can drive people to do all sorts of terrible things. Now I just wonder if the look that he gave you and the interpretation that you made was a result of his dark place. You know, perhaps he was struggling with some inner demons and that uh, projected over his face. Not so much paranormal, but more, uh, you know, a drain on the psyche. Uh, either way, it's a, it's a terrible story. Uh, it's an interesting story, but a terrible one. Uh, thank you for sharing. I imagine that was probably a difficult thing to do. Uh, thank you again, Jennifer. Now before we move on to our last handful of calls here for the evening, I want to hit on these notes here. Be sure to follow us on our social media accounts. We have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have a Facebook group that I highly, highly recommend you guys check out. Uh, just search for Monsters Among Us on all three platforms, and you should be able to locate us. The holidays are right around the corner, and if you're looking for a last-minute gift item for that weird friend, that crazy uncle, or that cryptic cousin, why not check out Cryptic Crate? You can sign up for a subscription at crypticcrate.com, or you can pick up one of the leftover boxes, and I have a handful of them left, uh, at our Etsy shop, which is www.crypticcrate.etsy.com. And Etsy is spelled E-T-S-Y. There you can pick up a leftover box, and I will ship it usually the same day. So you'll have that in plenty of time for Christmas. As the format of this particular episode probably hints at, I am extremely short on time this time of year. And I know there's a plethora of Facebook messages and emails that I have yet to answer. Uh, don't think that I'm ignoring you. I simply do not have time to get to those right now. The season should end for me in about a week from now. So once that happens, I will sit down and answer each and every message. So please be patient and don't take it personally. And lastly, that also translates to my Patreon account. Anyone that's visited there lately could tell that I haven't updated much of anything in quite a few weeks or even months. The, the problem here is that I simply uh, don't have the material. I tried doing the witness breakdowns. Those were very difficult to put together. They took a ton of time, as fun as they were. Uh, it took like three times the amount that it takes a normal episode. So I'm trying to figure something out, and I think there's going to be a major Patreon uh, overhaul here over the winter break. I think you guys are going to like what we come up with. Uh, I've been talking to both Tony and Addy about different options that we can put together uh, as far as Patreon is concerned. So if you're a Patreon supporter... Uh, please know that I truly, truly appreciate the support, and I am working on something to get uh, to get this rolling again. 
Uh, I, I want to get some good content out there and some regularly scheduled content, and that's been the, the hang-up so far. So like I said, uh, here in the new year, I have a plan in place. Uh, hopefully we can put it all together, and it will certainly increase the amount of episodes that are available to you. And lastly, uh, I want to thank all my donators. I had quite a few over the past couple weeks. And a reminder that all donations from now until it's done go toward my new studio space that I'm going to start working on here once this busy season lets up. Uh, and I desperately need it. I have completely outgrown this studio. I have piles and piles of documents and books, and there's just no room for anything. And to top everything off, I just broke my microphone stand listening to Jennifer's call. So this place has fallen apart, and it needs an update. So uh, long story short, I want to put a huge, huge thank you out to Amy B., Andy W., Anna G., Jason R., Tyler A., and David Z., uh, a huge, huge thank you to each of those individuals. And if you'd like to join them in donating, just go to the website and click on the Donate tab. Uh, and don't be embarrassed if it's a $2 donation. That certainly goes a long way to help me uh, finish this this new uh, workspace. Okay, that out of the way, let's move on to our next call of the evening. Hey, this is Nick down in Texas. Uh, First-time caller just now. Uh, got into the show. I got a couple stories, but this is just a quick little one. Wanted to see if uh, maybe some other people have seen similar things. Uh, this was actually seen by my older brother. Uh, when I was a kid, we lived down in South Texas. And uh, it was nighttime, and uh, we had the clotheslines. Uh, so late at night, he had to get the, his clothes off the line for whatever reason. He didn't get them off earlier. Um, I remember waiting there, and all of a sudden, uh, he ran in the house uh, wanting a, to get a gun, one of my dad's guns, saying that he saw a pig man. Uh, now, obviously, this freaked me out. Um, him being five years older than me, you know, he had that big brother mystique of uh, nothing scares him, nothing gets to him, and uh, he was pretty shook up, pretty frightened. So I just wanted to see if anybody's ever... Uh, seen anything described as a pig man, a man's body in a pig's face. Uh, thanks. I will call back uh, later, but uh, keep up the good work. It's a good podcast. Uh, I really enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Now I've heard of the goat man, moth man, frog man, and even a lizard man, but I've never heard of pig man. And quite frankly, I'm intrigued. So like Nick said, if anyone out there has uh, any insight on this legend, or perhaps saw the Pigman themselves, I'd certainly like to hear about it. If you saw the Pigman, or anything else strange, hit up the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or hit up the website for other submission options. Thank you, Nick, for taking the time to share this weird little one. And that's going to bring us to our final call of the evening. The following is another mystery call. Hi, Derek. This is Paul calling back from Michigan. And uh, I called a long time ago. I had a story about a ghost uh, in a haunted house that I lived in with my brother and a few friends back um, in 2000, 2001. And 
I said I would call back with another story. Uh, I have quite a few, and this is uh, actually making the exact same drive I made the first time I called. I thought it would be appropriate to call back with another one. So this one happened, and I had to go back and think about it. It would have been right around September 2010, so just over eight years ago. And my cousin at the time um, lived in southeastern Indiana, and you could actually, if you stood on the roof of his house, you could see Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana all from his rooftop. So he lived right there kind of at the, the confluence of the three um, just over the border in Indiana. And he, you know, it was kind of the height of ghost hunters and um, ghost adventures and all those store, uh, shows on, on TV. And my cousin and a couple of his buddies down there had put together their own little group in southeastern Indiana and we're doing some ghost hunting locally. And there's a lot of old houses in that region. And uh, we all kind of watched the shows and followed that. And uh, I will say, I am not a skeptic. I'm a believer. And I'm a believer in the fact that there are quite a few things that we don't understand. Um, I don't believe everything that I hear or read or see, but I, I believe there's a ton that we just don't understand yet. And so my cousin asked me if I wanted to come down there. They had a, a an old house that they wanted to do a, a ghost hunt at, and they got the owner's permission, and the house is over 100 years old, and they had reports of activity. So I said, yeah, and he asked me if I wanted to make a trip down on a Friday night. So I got off work, went down there, and we went and did this hunt um, all night long, and probably about 1 o'clock in the morning, wrapped it up. And went back to his house, and I was going to get up and drive, have breakfast with him, and then drive back home the next morning, that Saturday. And so we did it. Uh, was really no activity to speak of um, during the the hunt. Um, you know, we set up lots of equipment that they had all bought as a group, and it was a fun, neat experience. But we really didn't have anything that happened. And went back to his house. Was tired. Was by this time a little bit after 1 a.m., and um, he had told me to just sleep in his son's bedroom that uh, he had put him in bed with his wife. So I went in and um, laid down, and he lived on a street in a little suburb in that neighborhood, and there was a street lamp right outside in front of their house on the road. So there was a little bit of light coming in through the blinds, just enough. It was, you know, it's an old mercury light, so it's that kind of pale white light. And I was laying there exhausted, uh, but at the same point in time, still not quite ready to fall asleep. And I was just staring at the ceiling and started to close my eyes in and out. And all of a sudden, I closed my eyes, and I had a feeling that... It was almost like I could hear somebody walking in the bedroom. Um, And so, again, it was that just, I I didn't open my eyes. I I almost thought I could hear the footsteps on the carpet, like the creaking of this, of the floor almost underneath the the weight of these footsteps. And the first thing I thought in my mind as I was laying there was, oh, my cousin's coming in and he's going to try to scare me. He's going to sneak up right next to me and scare me while I'm laying here in the bed. So I kept my eyes closed tight, and I thought, I'm going to show him. 
and it was almost like I could feel this presence, which I thought was him, walking from the doorway where the bed was facing, across the room, and then it was almost as though I could feel his face right next to my face. And right at that point in time, I quickly whipped my head to the left where I thought his face was and opened my eyes, and I was going to say boo and try to scare him first. Um, you know, we're both in mid-30s, so, you know, uh, but uh, acting like children. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought it would be funny. And when I whipped my head and opened my eyes, there was nothing there. So all there was was that faint light coming in again through the blinds. Uh, so everything had that really pale pallor, but you could see the outline of everything like the dresser and the closet doors. And, and when there was nothing there, I was like, again, I, I, I was just sh- like questioning like, oh, that's weird because I could have sworn that I, number one, heard somebody walking across the room. And then I had that feeling almost like I could feel breath on my cheek. And so I, I was like, okay. So I closed my eyes again and I didn't think anything of it, put my head back down on the pillow, thought, oh, okay, you're just, you're tired. Um, You know, it's been a super long day, worked all day, made a long, you know, five-hour drive down to his place, had been up super late, and, you know, by now it's probably after 1.30 in the morning, and just tired, been up for almost 24 hours. So I, I closed my eyes again and tried to start to fall asleep, and this is... 30 seconds goes by, and all of a sudden, I can almost feel the exact same feeling, like there is a face right next to my face as I'm laying there in this twin bed, and I'm, so the first thing I think is, okay, he must have been there the first time, and he snuck out really quick, and I didn't see it. And now he's back. And I'm like, this time I'm going to get him. And I knew he was there this time. My cousin was there face to face with me, you know, kneeling on the side of the bed. And he was going to scare me this time. But I'm like, I'm going to get him first. So this is the second time I whipped my head again. And this time it was almost as though I could feel breath on my cheek. And when I opened my eyes and turned my head to the left really quick to scare him, there was nobody there. And all of a sudden, like, and I just telling you the story, I have the exact same feeling again. It was a wave of icy coldness from the tip of my head to the bottom of my heels. I think every single hair on my entire body uh, stood at attention. And I sat up in the bed. I looked all around the room. I looked on the side of the bed, the left side of the bed where I thought he had been. I looked on the right side of the bed. And that was when I realized that nobody was in there but me. And I very slowly laid back down on the bed and proceeded to pull the covers and the bedspread completely over my head like a little kid, again, a, a mid 30 year old little kid. Um, scared out of my mind and I pulled the covers tight over my head and I did not take the cover. I did I hardly slept at all the entire night then 
um, and I just wanted the sun to come up so I could leave. And the next morning, I eventually drifted off to sleep. The next morning, I, I get up, um, you know, and getting ready, and I go sit down at the kitchen table and eat some breakfast with my cousin, and it's just him and I and his kids and wife are still sleeping, and I said, oh, my God, you would not believe what happened to me last night, and I told him the story exactly like I've just told you, and he said, he, he actually looked a little bit scared, and he said, okay, whatever you do, do not say anything to my wife about that, and I was like, why? And he's like, he basically said, I think that at one of my hunts, I may have brought something back home with me one night. And I literally almost fell out of the chair. And he's like, I've had that exact same experience in my own bed. And I was, again, it was a repeat. It was that icy cold chill from head to toe sitting there at the breakfast table with the sunlight streaming in and all my hair standing on end. Uh, could not believe it. And so he said, yeah, please, whatever you do, do not say anything to his wife's name. He's like, but I'm pretty sure there's something in the house with us. So that was about it. I I literally like, finished wrapping up breakfast, you know, gave him a hug goodbye, uh, said, hey, thanks again for all the fun. And uh, I was out of there as fast as I could. And he actually moved out of that house shortly thereafter, and I can say thankfully that I never stepped foot in that house again. Um, he actually lives in the same neighborhood, but he moved to a, uh, a different house. Um, so, and I've never talked to him about it again, and he's never brought it up to me again, and I think that neither one of us wants to talk to each other about it. Um, I've been to his new house many, many times, and uh, stayed there and never have had anything like that happen again. So Derek is always a phenomenal, phenomenal podcast. Uh, I can never get enough of it. Um, appreciate all the work that you do as well as the rest of the team. And, uh, please keep up the good work. Um, I just, every Thursday, I can't wait, uh, till the next episode comes out. So just wanted to do my part. Um, and, uh, thanks again. Bye. Thank you, Paul, for sharing. I gotta be honest, it sounds like something there was toying with you a bit. Perhaps trying to get your attention, or perhaps just trying to spook you. Either way, we truly appreciate the call. But, on that note, we're out of time. Before I sign off, I would like to remind everyone that you have six more days to submit your hometown legend story. If I get enough, I can make this a two-parter. So if you're sitting on one, by all means, please share. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Tony Bell, Addie Lloyd, and Warren Pon Abbott. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Music for this episode was provided by Mayu and Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
thank you for sticking around until the end of the show. I have two written stories to submit today, both submitted anonymously. A few weeks ago, I was vacationing in southern Washington, and me and my dad and sister were walking through the forest behind her college. There was an old watchtower that we climbed up the three stories. It was early morning, probably 8 a.m. We were looking around, and all of a sudden we heard really weird noises. We stayed up in the tower and looked around to see if we could find what was making the sounds. My dad didn't think it would be safe to go down, so we stayed up there for a few hours. And that's when I saw something really big and hairy run through the trees, followed by the same strange noises we heard in the first place. Finally, my dad decided it was safe for us to leave, and we went back down to the ground. We ran back to the college, never looking back. And the second entry. So about three weeks ago, I went bull hunting up on Diamond Mountain. Me and my dad were walking up a straightaway when we saw a monster seven-point run over the top. So we took off and reached the top right before the sun peaked, so about seven-ish. We got to the top and saw a big thing walking out of the trees into a clearing about one or two miles from the top. But from our position, we couldn't see it perfectly. It looked like a man covered in hair. But when we looked through our binoculars, we realized how big this creature was. It turned around and looked at us like it was staring right at us. Then it turned and ran. We tried to follow the best we could, but it was unnaturally fast. After chasing its trail for about an hour, it seemed as though it had fallen off the face of the earth. We have no clue what it was, but the footprints were about 18 inches in length and had about 7 feet in stride. There was nothing else it could be other than the elusive Bigfoot. Thank you to both of those submitters. I was pretty happy to squeeze in some cryptids, even if it was at the very end. So thank you both for sharing those tales. And to everyone else, have a good night. If you thought you had to travel far to savor the Pad Thai of Bangkok, or to taste the pastries of Paris, take another look. With two times total points at grocery stores, your same kitchen can come with more cuisines. Sapphire Preferred from Chase? Make more of what's yours. Valor up to $1,000 in purchases per month from November 1st, 2020 to April 30th, 2021. Account subject to credit approval. Card issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To connect with us. To see that no detail is too small. To be our special guest. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle but it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.